Hello and welcome to All Things Albion, the podcast dedicated to West Bromwich Albion. Please welcome my co-host on the 22nd of October 2006 when West Brom beat Wolverhampton Wanderers 3-0. He was there and so was I. How are you, Steve? I'm good. Uh, yeah, I went off there. Goodness me, there was limbs that day. Yeah, so it was... Um, yeah, it was a 3-0 win, and it was Green in Diamancy Kamara, and John Hartson scored a penalty. It's a bit of a blast from the past there, John Hartson. Um, plenty to talk about on this episode. We did a 20-minute Just Reaction podcast uh, last Thursday, I think it was, and it was just sort of reacting to all the stuff that's been happening. But today, we want to, you know, this is our regular slot. Uh, we're recording this on the 6th of February, so uh, Sunday the 6th of February, this is our regular slot. This is our, you know, you are supposed to be an hour, usually longer, uh, podcast to talk about everything, break it down and have a real look into all the news that's happened. We don't have a game to review this week. Um, so but <laughs> it's funny, at the start of the week, I thought to myself, there's not much to talk about. And then West Brom duly obliged by sacking managers, sacking chairmen, doing everything. So I'm um, very appreciative of West Brom for that. So let's jump into it first. So. Um, I want to I want to tie a bow on Valerian Ishmael's time at West Brom. We have spent the last 26 episodes really either at the start we were praising him and then it sort of started to go a bit turmoil and towards the end it just turned into a, a debate of whether he should go or stay. But like I said, today will probably be the last time we talk about him because he has been sacked. Uh, he got sacked last uh, Wednesday, I think it was now. To be fair, there, there's still a couple of things to talk about, and and I think it just when we when it's something like this, when there isn't necessarily a game, I think it, it's doubly important that we get some response as well to to build into our uh, our future podcast as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, in terms of Val, uh, the first thing I want to do is I want to have a look and and look back and sort of review where things started to go wrong and where they the wheel sort of fell off because I think we can agree. His time at the club started off really promising, went through a, a transitional period, shall we say, and then in the end, it was just it, there was only one decision, really. Um, we, like I said, we did react to it earlier, but I thought it was the right decision by the club. I think things were getting more and more toxic by the game. The, he seemed to have lost the players. Um, yeah, I think it was time for him to go, wasn't it? It, it was probably a little bit overdue, but. The day, the day that he did go um, was pretty opportune because the new man coming in, I, I dare say there was lots of machinations going on in the background to fix up, well, as it turns out, Steve Bruce to come in. So it would have been nice to, for, for, for Val to go a little bit sooner so he could have come in perhaps a day earlier, yeah. whether or not that would have made any difference. But we just had that window of opportunity, didn't we, between games for the new man, Steve Bruce to come in and actually sort of like get amongst them so mm. yeah it, it it was time it was time when now I look back um I was quite supportive of Val and I wanted him to do well I want I want all uh baggies managers head coaches to do well uh and I always hope that Albion will do well well there's myself and a good friend of mine uh who's also a baggies fan and goes up there season ticket holder etc uh, always says the same thing. It's the hope that kills, and I think it isn't just kill. Hope distorts, so you actually 
can't be objective about what's actually going on because you hope against hope that they're going to they're going to sort of rise phoenix like out of the ashes and it's hope that does that to you so yeah time he went glad he's gone now um sad that it it came to this and it's turned out to be expensive as well by the looks of it yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll talk about his compensation package and the rumours flying around about that at the end. But like I said, firstly, I just want to focus on the, his his time at West Brom. So he came in from Barnsley, did very well at Barnsley last year. Um, had an upturn in form, which coincided with signing Daryl DK in the January, I must say, because they were ninth when DK came in and obviously they finished fifth, I think, fifth or something like that in the playoffs. Um, yes, I think it was fifth, yeah. Was it fifth, yeah. So... Like I say, came in, much promise, four-year contract, big contract. I, I don't know many managers that get that long of a contract. Um, I, th- I think the last one for us might have been Mowbray, maybe. I know that Jeremy Peace liked his one-year rolling contract, didn't he? Where basically, at any one time, the manager has a year left on his contract. Um, but anyway, came in, a lot of promise, four-year plan. You know, he's going to rebuild West Brom from the ground up after what's been, you know, a disappointing Premier League season. Sam Allardyce left. And then we're going straight into a 2-2 draw with Bournemouth, um, which I think we can agree looked great, started well. You know, the high press seemed to work. The players seemed to be buying into his philosophy. It, it, it had real promise. And then obviously on to Luton, we won. Uh, Sheffield United at home was a real highlight, winning 4-0 and just absolutely playing them off the park. It could have been easily 6-7-0, couldn't it? We mullered them we, and, and we were good at that stage. And I was, oh, well, that word again, I was really hopeful for the rest of the season. I was thinking, here we go, we're flying. Uh, and I think that, that sentiment was shared by a lot of other people at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And then... Um, you know, I thought was also when there's a post been flying around social media recently, uh, which we talked about on Thursday, didn't we? That it was, uh, was it like sleep press repeat or something like that? And it was uh, Matty Phillips and Dar O'Shea hounding the Sheffield United player to get the ball off. And, and it was just everyone was saying, where's this gone? What's happened to this uh, sort of style of play? But yeah, so did well there. Beat Bristol Rovers away, which looking now is a fantastic result because they're flying uh, under Mowbray. Then we lost 6-0 to Arsenal, didn't we? Admittedly, mm. he played a weakened team, mainly youth team players. And I think I think a few fans were quite disappointed by that, because we were flying, doing well. Arsenal were struggling, and there was no indication that he was going to do that until the game. So fans had, because it was a Wednesday game as well, fans had battled through... Um, traffic and finish work and had to go straight to the game to then see their team you know just basically play our youth team I think that disappointed quite a few fans and there was a bit of discussion about that wasn't there there was discussion about it and uh, I-, I watched that game um look I try to watch all of them to be honest and uh, that's that was my first major disappointment not necessarily the way we played which was obvious uh, or certainly obvious as we progressed through the game, we didn't start too badly, I think. But the thing that disappointed me was the fact that he threw the Carabao Cup away. Um, I mean, I understand fully that it was deeply, deeply uh, unlikely that we were going to win it. But when he picked that team, I just thought, oh, he's just the same as all the rest. He's just the same. He's going to bin a cup. We aren't going to win leagues. We aren't going to get into Europe 
anytime soon. But we could have a good cup run. And that was what I was hoping for. And what do we, what does he do? Mr. Predictable, he picks the kids. And I just thought, uh-oh, that's the, that was my first disappointment with Val. Yeah. And then we went into the Peterborough game, won 1-0. But I remember people saying at the time, um, and obviously we were doing our podcast then, uh, it, was, it wasn't a very good performance, but we got the win. And that's what the conversation started to become around about this time, um, because I think we scored like the 94th, 95th minute um, after knocking at the door, but not, like I said, not playing particularly well. And the other thing as well is that's quite interesting about that game is that there was, a, uh, there was another clip resurfaced online, especially since he got the sack. And it was him running down the line to celebrate with the players after scoring, uh, Semi Ajayi scored that goal. So you'd think then, him and the players, there was harmony there. There was a lot of, you know, you'd think there was a, a lot of mutual respect between Val and the players. And then we started to go into the more turmoil time of his tenure. Uh, we drew 1-1 with Millwall. We drew 0-0 with Derby. Uh, we also drew 1-1 with Preston North End. And, yeah, it almost looked like things weren't great. I remember saying at the time, you know, is Val starting to come under pressure a little bit not on no not not anything like Val should be out or anything like that but yeah it's this it was just mm, this isn't looking good and but then we beat uh QPR 2-1 once again not the best performance in the world Carl and Grant scored the winner if you remember it was a Friday night game and then we beat Cardiff City 4-0 and I, at the time I thought oh great you know we're back on we're back on to where we need to be um we are, you know, flying again. We beat a team convincingly. I think Mick McCarthy got the sack not long after that as well. We constantly sack him. <laughs> I think I feel a bit sorry for him because he's a really good egg he is. Um, but to be honest with you, that's when it went lumpy. It started to go lumpy because I can, as you, as you mentioned those games, I can remember them. And what I remember seeing is we were sort of dominating the game but we were awful in our um, in our play around the the, off, the opposition penalty area it just kept breaking down breaking down breaking down because either we got nobody to hit which and I'm not concerned I'm not certain sorry I'm not certain that that's exactly true I think we had got people it, it was the, those people that we had got to hit were never in the right place when the cross was good yeah, but more often than not, the cross wasn't good. Or, but when it was, it 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 was it would go sailing across the perfect spot for a player running in, and there was nobody there. There was nobody driving into the box to get on that ball. Uh, if and if there was somebody coming in, they were a bit late or very late, uh, and it, I don't know it. Uh, or, or if it was somebody there, it was Hugo, uh, which was. <laughs> You know, and that's never a good thing. I don't care. I don't care what he's saying about being at card. If he scored one goal there, let's see how the rest of the season goes for him. <laughs> it's like calm down, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please do calm down. And th yeah, so that's what we're seeing at the time. We're seeing us dominate games somehow without playing silky football on the approach. We get into dangerous positions and then completely fluff it. Uh, yeah. And so I started to wonder at that stage. What's happening here? Yeah. 
Um, and then we lost 1-0 to Stoke, um, which was our first loss of the season. Because I think people who were trying to defend Val, and, that, and they were absolutely within the right to, um, and they were trying to stay positive, was, well, we were unbeaten. We hadn't we hadn't lost a game except for Arsenal. We, had, we were unbeaten in the league to that point, but lost to Stoke 1-0. Should have been 2-0. The referee made an awful decision. Uh, and I think Darnell Furlong basically scored an own goal, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and yeah, the referee pulled it back for a, a foul on Callum Robinson, which looks soft to say the least. Then we beat uh, Birmingham. Then it just yeah lost to lost to Swan. Sorry, yeah lost to Swansea. Beat Bristol, and then we just went into a, a real turmoil point where you know we lost to Fulham three nil. Got played off the park. It was it was you know it was embarrassing really how bad we were. Robert Snodgrass trying to set up every Fulham player he could um, in the meantime, and then yeah it just that's where it went sour and it never really recovered we had obviously had wins here and there but then the pre the last sort of patch uh where he was under real pressure was when we sort of lost to derby county in an awful performance um we drew one one with cardiff and there was the big you know rook at the end of the game and sam johnston getting sent off alex moa getting sent off val storming onto the pitch to confront the referee um i actually did a twitter space last friday and i uh, i really enjoyed it and thank you everybody who joined us on that um and we were talking about that time the cardiff game and saying you know what did you think and a lot of people were like they like a passionate manager um but on the flip side should he have been more controlled? Did he exacerbate the situation? It was an interesting conversation, but anyway, that happened. And it wasn't a good look either way, whether he was warranted to come on the pitch or not. And I, I said at the time, and I still think now, the referee was a joke. He deserved to come on and confront it, but it just got made things worse. And when you look at the face of it, you know, a game where we've lost two key players to um, suspension because of ill discipline, really, it just wasn't a good look on the face of it. And then, like I said, it got worse and worse. The Preston North End was a real low point. Uh, and then the Millwall game was was probably the lowest point of, well, for quite a while at the Albion, really. Well, the, the, the impression that I got with regard to what was happening then was that internally, um, team-wise, squad-wise, uh, dressing room-wise, whatever you want to say, it must have been like a pressure cooker. Yeah. Um the, the pressure to to get results and to and to do the job in the way that Val wanted it to be done uh, effectively um it must have been the pressure in there and, and the tension in the dressing room I would think must have been pretty pretty heavy yeah. you cut the tension with the knife couldn't you I would have thought so I mean I'm just I'm just trying to think back to when I was playing when we were when we were doing uh, and obviously I never played at this level but when things are going wrong and you know you have it within your capabilities to put them right, but they won't go right, it's that's the stage when the pressure builds and you just think to yourself, well, you know, what is going wrong? I honestly think that it was down to pressure and tension, just an anxiety. They were anxious on the pitch. They wanted to do what he wanted them to do, but it just wouldn't come off no matter what happened. We couldn't pass a ball. Uh, we couldn't pass a ball 15 yards. No. Because we couldn't pass a ball 15 yards, because uh, we were subject to oppress ourselves in the end, because um, the, the formation that Val played made us open to oppress. Um, but what was happening was we couldn't play the 15-yard yard, yard balls accurately, so we stopped trying to play the thread-the-needle balls. Yeah. 
and just everything went belly up. So what I was saying and what I've been saying for a long time is what we need is that Kumas player, that Peter Odom Wingy player. Uh, and I know that's sort of ridiculous things to say at this stage, but I wanted to see our players drive into the box with the ball at their feet because that's where penalties come from and that's where goals come from. And we weren't doing it. So, yeah, it went wrong. And tension, anxiety and stress brought about a situation, well, which developed into Millwall. Yeah. I um, I was listening to the Fozcast, Ben Foster's podcast recently. It was an older episode. He was talking about previous managers. And he was talking about when Pepe Mel was in charge. And apparently Pepe Mel came in and he was trying to get them to play like fluid football out from the back, passing, you know, nice passing through the defence into the midfield and, and you know, and, and more of a, a tick-attacker type of football. And apparently a lot of the senior players, after a few games, realised that this wasn't going to work. So they went up to Pepe Mel, went into his office and they just said, look, we're, we're not the team that's built for this sort of style of play. They had Gareth McCall and Jonas Olsen at the time, you know, strong, robust, very, very good defenders, but not the best you know, <laughs> creative players in the world. Gareth McCauley was a good pass to the ball, but short, sharp passes rather than, you know, creative killer passes. And they went and spoke to him. And apparently Pepe Mel was very receptive to their ideas and he changed things and they went back to the style of play that they were used to. It almost felt like, and I'm, I'm not saying that this didn't happen, but it, it, it almost felt like that's what needed to happen under Val. Because, and I know I've talked about this and I won't go on for ages, but the 3-4-3 just never suited our team. After the first couple of games where it did, it was almost like either the players stopped buying into it or they were tired. But for whatever reason, it just stopped working. And Val, and I think this will be, you know, when we look back in years to come and we look back at his time, it will be the stubbornness that we will reference. Because I think that was the thing that, that cost him in the end, was the fact that he was unwilling to change and unwilling to adapt. I think the only thing that he he uh, he didn't change. The only things that he didn't change was um, was the actual formation uh, and and his substitutions on sixty fifty nine between fifty nine and sixty two minutes. Um, usually bringing the same bloke on uh, or one or two. But anyway, yeah. um, I, I, there's two things I want to say here. Uh, I don't think he played high press all the way through his time with us at all. Um, I don't know whether it was because he, he saw, sort of did have a, a semi-plan B. Uh, but, but when I was watching the games through the, that turmoil period, as you call it, um, I thought, well, where is the high press? I mean, it switched on occasionally. Yeah. But, it's like we started with a high press yeah, for the first yeah. sort of 20 minutes and then it just died off. And if we didn't score in that first 15, 15 minutes or so, we, we started to play this this slightly different style with the same formation where we just started booting it up the pitch uh, uh, and we were playing inaccurate passes to people who didn't seem to want the ball sometimes. Um, I, we went through this weird situation where um, Taylor God, Gardner Hickman was mad of the match three times, but then then was side. dropped. Yeah. And, and he was the only one who did want the ball and only, the only one who did drive forward and it was the only one, it seems to me, that didn't didn't fall into the trap of getting sort of switched off by tension and stress and anxiety, uh, and yet he was dropped. So it it was the unpredictability, 
this was when my hope started to go. I, I know one or two people who are dear to me um, wanted to keep him, uh, wanted to keep Val and wanted to plow through because of the of the the, the project. Uh, and I've got to be honest, I was of that opinion as well. But I've made that mistake before, and I, I was I was very supportive of keeping Pulis until he'd got his squad. Um, and I was deeply, deeply wrong about that because by the time he'd, he'd done everything that he wanted to do, we were awful. And it, resu and it resulted in Pardew, which was uh, one of the low points of our history as well, wasn't it? So, um, so yeah. It, uh, and the other thing was Pepe Mel, as I remember it, I think Pepe Mel wanted to play high up the pitch and a bit of a press as yeah. well, you know. Um, but again, it doesn't seem to work, does it? We, we seem to be, we seem to have managers who want to do that, perhaps at the wrong time. Yeah. Um, so just last thing on Val before we move on, like I said, to tie a bow on his time at West Brom. I think, you know, in his defence, because I don't think you can just sit there and say, oh, he was an awful manager. There wasn't much investment at the start of the season. Um, you can look at the players because I think there was a discussion of whether it was him or the players that were at fault for not buying into his philosophy. And then the third thing I will say is DK getting injured. I think when DK got injured, that was the that was the last sort of hope he had because I think his defence up until that point was once we get a decent striker who can score the goals, we will be better. And as, as soon as DK went off injured and it, earned, it turned out it was going to be 11 weeks, um, it was game over really. And the referees as well. There were certain games where referee made off decisions. So those are the things that I think, um, you know, to try and defend him a little bit. And I think as a manager... He'll be back. He'll do well somewhere. I think if he has a, unless he becomes flexible, unless he learns other styles, he'll be the sort of manager who will travel around, in my opinion, and he'll take players with him. He'll sign players that will, you know, stay with him. Um, a bit like Harry, how Harry Redknapp used to sign Peter Crouch and Nico Crankier. I think um, Val will end up having players that he you know, keeps almost wherever he goes because they'll want to buy into the high press and play that style of football. But I think for a lot of teams, he will struggle uh, because it's a very demanding one, a very demanding um, formation. And the other thing as well is I want to give uh, Julian a shout out who was on the spaces, uh, with the Twitter spaces, because he said the thing that people don't remember as well is when Val was Barnsley manager, he had five substitutes, not three. So he was able to freshen it up a lot more which was a really good point and a really good, uh, you know, opinion. So I just wanted to mention that as well. So like I said, I'm sure Val will be back. It's a shame, but it was time to move on for everybody. And I think as a club, fans, players, owners, everybody included, we can take a big sigh of relief. And let's just leave that there. So moving on, um, actually one more thing, one last thing on Val. <laughs> we'll stop then. Uh, his compensation package. So obviously we paid two million to Barnsley to get him out of Barnsley, out of his contract for, with Barnsley, and then apparently we've paid two million to get rid of him. His compensation package two million. So that's four million pounds we spent on a manager that lasted about five months, which I think we can all agree, for whatever reason, is a terrible decision at boardroom level. So transitioning nicely onto our next topic. Um, Lee P.U. and Zhu also known as Ken, have both, well, Lee P.U. has left the club completely. Ken has been moved aside to a uh, non-executive boardroom role. 
and they've been replaced by Ron Gourlay, who's now our CEO, uh, replacing Ken, and uh, Joe Chimloy, who is now our chairman, replacing Lee P.U. I think that, um, I think obviously the whole Val situation had a lot to do with that, and I'm not surprised. I'm sure from an investor's point of view and Joe Chimloy's point of view, they're going to go, hang on, we've paid £2 million for a manager who isn't isn't doing what we need him to do and now we've got to pay him two million pounds to get rid of him what a complete waste of money that was um and i can understand why he's ringing the changes round. in terms of this I th we talked about it on thursday i think it's good to see lie has a role in the club and he will be more involved because i think a big criticism of him in the past has been he's almost been like an absentee owner you know it was three years uh, he hadn't up until recently. It's been three years since he was at the club. He didn't seem to have much involvement. Um, he used to drop in every now and again. You'd hear a news story like he vetoed the Chris Wilder decision, but then he went quiet again. And obviously, Ron Gourlay, he's had his issues at Reading, but was very successful at Chelsea, especially. Um, so it's good to see more football-minded people behind the scenes, isn't it? It's it's vitally, pivotally important. Um, we were saddled with a board that had got no no football nails really at the top. Um, chairman and CEO, two people who'd got no football experience, and then and then this this veto in uh, Chris Wilder for well, I don't know whether it was for Val. Uh, perhaps it was, but Guoch and Lai decided. I don't want him, I want this guy, um, or I just don't want him because, I don't know, for whatever reason he'd got. Uh, but if you're going to do that as a chairman or, or as an owner, or if you're going to impose a decision on your board as the owner of a club, you've got to get it right. Because if you get it wrong, you've got no credibility, not just with the fans, I mean, that decision has really gone down badly with our fans and our, our supporters. But it must have gone down terribly with the board. Well, to the extent that I think that was the reason that Dowling left, wasn't it? Not that that was yeah. necessarily a bad thing, but I'm just saying that it must have been a smack in the face to think he'd got Wilder teed up uh, and bearing in mind what he's done at Middlesbrough since, you would think it was a good decision to have it vetoed by the absent owner for whatever reason, as reported, uh, and for them to, he must be, Dowling must be sitting somewhere, wherever he is, chuckling at what's happened uh, as a result of that decision. Uh, can you imagine? He, he felt so strongly about it, allegedly felt so strongly about it, that he resigned because of it. Well, yeah. you can't help but have a bit of self-satisfaction when the wheel falls off so spectacularly, can you? Four million pounds, if it's true, that figure for a man who'd come in and lasted seven months. That's disastrous financially to a club like Albion. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm glad that Luke Dowling did go from after reports of, you know, youth team players having to use a different entrance than the first team and, and you know, all that went on in his tenure. I'm glad he went, but no, absolutely. You must, must be looking at it now and thinking... Yeah, it was it was uh, it was a poor decision hiring Val, and I can understand why they've ring the changes around the club. In terms of Ron Gourlay, 
he was uh, it sounded like he was very adamant that he wanted Steve Bruce uh, to come in and apparently they've got a, a relationship from the past you know when he said when Ron rang him and he took note and and things like that so I want to uh, I want to move on to Steve Bruce now and I want to talk about him at the club excellent so um first of, first of all I want to give my opinion I did briefly last Thursday but I think he's a good choice I don't know if he was many people's first choice and I can understand fans that say one of the merry-go-round managers and things like that but we need somebody to come in to turn things around and we need a good man manager now you know with Bruce it sounds like from what reports I'm reading and what I'm hearing, he's a very good man manager. There was a, a really touching post. Um, so one of his Newcastle players, Alan St. Maximin, who said a really nice post about how he was a fair, caring man and, um, you know, he always protects his players. And I think someone like that will galvanise our team. I think Steve Bruce will come in and he will change things and he will, you know, I think, like I said, initially I think there'll be a bounce because... He's not Val. After the tension that the squad must have been under at the end of his time, it must be just a relief for the team to not have to have Val, you know, and, and all the problems that we were having under him, especially towards the end of his time. What did you think about Steve Bruce? Um, I didn't know who to expect initially, but as it turns out, Gourlay had got some sort of relationship with Steve Bruce from previously. Um, and that's certainly the way it seemed at the press conference, wasn't it, when Steve Bruce was talking about, I had the phone call from Ron. Yeah. Uh, and, and after that, it was sort of like a done deal, really. Uh, I'm, I, I, now, I feel good. Um, I've got a good feeling about Steve Bruce, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, when I think back about our previous managers who've done well at the club, uh, one, one name recently sticks out to me. And um, and that's Roy Hodgson. Yeah. Now, I get the impression that there are a lot of facets to Steve Bruce's character that mirror those of Roy Hodgson's. Um, he was supposed to be uh, an excellent man manager, uh, um, a bit of a dinosaur. Well, he's 74. Uh, I know he wasn't that old when he was with us, but it, it's not that long ago. Um, and Steve Bruce is... 61 i think uh, yeah. and so he's a vastly experienced man he's got superb um stats in the championship um he certainly appears to be the sort of man who can motivate people by caring uh, about them these are the these are the, this is the information that's coming obviously i've got no personal experience uh, of steve bruce um but I, I feel encouraged i feel encouraged by the breeze that's blowing through uh, the Hawthorns, if you like, at the moment, um, it's it, it, the, tra the tension that I was talking about that was palpable needs to be dissipated uh, and it needs to be replaced uh, with a different sort of management. But it's got to be an effective yeah. breeze that's blowing through. It's it, all right, it being a lot better and a lot nicer for the players and feeling OK for podcasters. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 and for people on Twitter, but it's got to work. The players have got to have got to respond. Yeah. Um, now, how he's going to do it? Well, again, I've heard various stories. Uh, I mean, I haven't 
been watching every Newcastle game that that he's had anything to do with Steve Bruce. Uh, equally so, you know, the other teams that he's managed. Um, but I get the impression that he's got a, a strong emphasis towards defence, and he's got and he knows that it's it's you know. Um, Forwards win your games, but uh, defences win your championships. Uh, I think he's got a strong uh, sort of affi- affiliation to that philosophy. So I want to see that. Um, Megson had got the same, exactly the same sort of mentality. I want us. I want the Hawthorns to be a fortress again. I want us to go away and intimidate teams. Um, I want us to sign people who have got backbone. I want to. I want Albion to be Albion again, and. I'm hopeful that Steve Bruce will do that. Um, so, yeah, he's got to get the, the fans on side, which I think we've started to come round, but only because he's not Val so far. Uh, we need to see it translated onto the pitch so that we can come round from a footballing perspective as well. Uh, so, yeah. So, there, there, there you go. I'll draw a parallel. I'll draw a parallel, if you like, or draw a, a connecting line between Steve Bruce, uh, Gary Megson, and... Um, Roy Hodgson. Yeah. Uh, now I'll, I'm quite willing to be proved wrong and slated for it, but that's what I'm going to do. I feel good, and hopefully, uh, he's a feel-good um, influence on the whole club going forward. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, clips online and things like that. There's a couple of things I want to mention. So on the side note, first, there was a clip of Roy Hodgson stood on the sidelines for Watford yesterday in his technical area getting absolutely battered by rain and wind and i just so what are you doing mate like you just don't need this anymore like surely he's got plenty of money in the bank and i know he must love football but i just felt a bit sorry for him and then the interview afterwards he looked like he's about to blow away don't know why they did the interview on the pitch but literally it's on twitter it's floating around twitter it was like said look look like he's about to blow away bless him so that was the first thing the second thing was that yeah, there was a. It was like a video on WBA TV uh, of Bruce uh, taking his first training session, and they were basically doing passing the ball around. And Bruce was saying, "Look, calm down, put your foot on it, and enjoy the football. You know, enjoy it, pass it, enjoy. Don't keep just trying to get rid of it." And I thought, I mean, a guy on Twitter said something, and I responded saying, "Oh, I agree. Thank goodness for this. You know." A manager who's coming in. I'm not saying that Val was saying, no, just lump it. But it, it, well, if you look at our games, that's what he was obviously saying. But it was so nice to see a manager who was, you know, encouraging the players to express themselves, encouraging them to enjoy and, and keep the ball. And I think that is something we really need. You're absolutely right. It's all great feeling happy, but it, it's got to it's got to translate onto the pitch. So it's very early days yet, but I'm the same as you. I feel optimistic and I choose to be optimistic. So fingers crossed. Come on, let's do it. Um, in terms of his uh, the statement by the club, um, so this is what they had to say when we hired Bruce. West Bromwich Albion Club is delighted, well, sorry, West Bromwich Albion Football Club is delighted to announce the appointment of Steve Bruce as its new manager. Uh, that's something else we'll talk about in a second. The experienced boss, who has four Premier League promotions to his name, has signed an 18-month contract at the Hawthorns. Assistant Stephen Clements, Steve Agnew, uh, as well as Alex Bruce, joined James Morrison and Gary Walsh in the club's backroom staff. Ron Gourlay, Albion's newly appointed chief executive offer, said Steve is a highly respected and experienced manager who has an impressive record of earning promotion to the Premier League. His excellent man management skills, tactical nous, and ability 
to hit the ground running were among the main, many reasons we decided he was the man to take us forward. Promotion remains our objective for this season and we are confident that with Steve leading the club, we have given ourselves every chance of achieving that goal. And then Steve Bruce added, I am delighted to have the opportunity to manage a club that has such great history and tradition. It is a club I've obviously known well from my time at the mid in the Midlands, and I'm already relishing the challenge of taking it forward. I did not envisage I would return to management this quickly. Once I got the phone call from Ron, I knew I could not resist the challenge of getting this club back to where it belongs, where, where they want to be. I am coming in with one aim, and that is to get the Albion to the Premier League. Um, firstly, yes, great words spoken by all. Um, I picked that interview because there was a clip going around on Sky, but they seem more interested to talk about every club he's ever managed besides West Brom. So I didn't bother, you know, looking at that or reading that because, but frankly, the Sky reporter was <laughs> awful. Here, here. I thought it was a disgrace. I, I, I actually watched it, uh, but I'm glad you're not featuring it in the... If you're going to talk to somebody, aren't they? West Bromwich Albion uh, appointment press conference... Why do you talk about Newcastle? It was illogical and completely out of left field to me. And extremely disrespectful um, from Sky. In terms of Steve Bruce's contract, so the first interesting thing about that was he's now, he's our manager. I said, <laughs> it's funny, I, I made a mistake on the last uh, podcast we did. I said that, um, you know, well, my usual little intro when Blair and Ishmael was our manager, he was there and so was I. Obviously, Blair and Ishmael wasn't our manager. He was our head coach. But uh, Steve uh, Steve Bruce is our manager. Um, do you think that's an interesting thing, that the club have switched tactics from, you know, head coach to manager? Well, I think it may have something to do with uh, Gourlay, who's new in his post, and Steve Bruce themselves. Because... Why would our board, who negotiated this deal, just of in and of themselves just decide to change the structure uh, or the job description? Uh, so it seems to me that perhaps Steve and Ron Gourlay think that it's time for a change from that particular sort of job title and and any implications that it's got within the club. So uh, perhaps perhaps it's to do with that. Yeah. And um, yeah, so like I said, it is an 18 month contract. The rumour I'm hearing is that there's a break clause in that contract after the uh, the end of the season. If both parties aren't happy, I think either one can, you know, move on without any, um, you know, sort of problems. And then uh, the other thing I've heard, and this is this is pretty standard stuff, really, is if he does get promoted, uh, Steve Bruce is in line for a decent uh decent bonus but to be fair the club's going to get what 80 90 million whatever it is for being in the premier league i think he if he can get us there if he can turn our season around he deserves a share of that as does you know everybody else involved it's what we desperately need a club like ours can't well if, if we don't go up in the next couple of years uh, and, and and the uh, and the money dries up uh, the premiership money dries up uh, we're going to be in the pot with just about well Two thirds of the rest of uh, yeah. of the championship, and that ain't a happy place to be. No. Um, so let's move on to transfers. Actually, just before we do, um, I want to just give a quick bit of advice to Talksport. Yesterday, they put a post out saying that Steve Bruce is managing his third Birmingham team. 
Um, please talk sport, do your research. West Bromwich isn't in Birmingham. The clue is in the name. It's in West Bromwich. I just think it's hilarious how they um, are happy to do features like what's the point in West Brom and they actually don't even know where West Bromwich is. But anyway, um, yeah, so do your research, talk sport. So let's move into transfers now. Um, pretty uh, boring transfer deadline day at West Brom. Um, I don't know if there was much hope, really. I mean, every post I saw was the only transfer I want to see is Val out the club. Um, but yeah, so snoo a bit of a snooze fest of a transfer deadline day. Uh, Robert Snodgrass left the club by mutual consent. Val was still our manager at the time, so I'm not surprised by that. I think he was keen to go. And if they included Val in any of that decision-making process, he would have been the same. Um, so... Yeah, wasn't wasn't much, but to be fair, it wasn't much of a transfer deadline day for anybody, really. I wonder if um, Steve Bruce is happy that Snodgrass left. Is that occurred to me? He, he was an experienced player. Yeah, he was injury injury problems, uh, and he didn't contribute greatly to uh, anything this season, did he? But he contributed more to Fulham, I think, probably. Um, but yeah. I wonder. Was it? Yeah, I wonder. Um, I just wonder how uh, Steve Bruce feels about that, as just as a, an aside, really. Yeah, well, on a on once again, I'm referencing the Twitter space, but so basically, we did talk about who Bruce might look into getting because I think I think it's pretty much you know most managers, not all managers, but most managers, they want to bring in a few players that they you know like and trust and and they think will add something to the team. Um, I mean, obviously, Sam Allardyce did it, didn't he? He signed anybody he could in January, almost, last year, it felt. Uh, Snodgrass being one of them. And obviously, even though January's over, we can still sign free transfers. Um, Snodgrass was mentioned, uh, and people didn't seem to be too keen on having him back. But he played for Bruce for quite a few teams. I think he was with Bruce when he was at the Villa. And I think he also played for Bruce when he was at Hull, I think. Um so, you know, there's definitely the relationship there. So we might see the return of Snodgrass. The other ones I want to quickly mention as well. Uh, Jack Wilshere seems to be doing the rounds a lot. Elmer Hamady, um, he played for Bruce at Sunderland, Hull and Villa. He's available on a free transfer. And then the other two, uh, there's no, there's no, you know, connection here. But basically, they're just the other two players that were mentioned was Winston Reid and Andre Wisdom are both available on free transfers as well. I think it's I think it's more than free transfers. I think they've got to be without a club. Yeah, sorry, no club. That's right. Um, because I've seen that a couple of times. People talking about free transfers on Twitter um, since it, when I've been rummaging around in there looking for th in things. Uh, it and yeah, it's not free transfer. Free transfers take place in windows as well. So these people, whoever they come in, if we're going to think in terms of them, we need to look to see: a, have they got no contract, and b. Are they without a club? And if they are, like Wilshire, I think, uh, and I think like Snodgrass at the moment, uh, not that I'm advocating going for either, to be honest, uh, because I don't think Snodgrass would make any massive difference to us. I think we've got better. Uh, and yeah. Wilshire, Wilshire, well, I just think I just think he'd spend his entire time uh, in, in our medical uh, facilities because, unfortunately for the kid, that's what popped that's what sort of um, what's the word punctuates his career so I don't want either of them to be honest with you personally uh, obviously if they came back I wouldn't sort of like hate it but uh, they're not they're not the people we should be going for 
yeah, absolutely. Um, and then just moving forward. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Jordan Hugel has been giving it the big one uh, after his one goal for Cardiff. So yeah, um, this this happened uh, last last Sunday. The funny thing was on the podcast we recorded it before Cardiff played whoever they were playing and before he scored. And I was going, who was they playing? Do you know? Forest. Forest. Thank you. So. We recorded the podcast before that because we always record on a Sunday usually. And I was going, yay, Jordan Hughes gone, finally. <laughs> and then he scored for Cardiff. <laughs> um, I'm still glad he's gone. It, may, it makes absolutely no difference to me. But um, basically after the game, he was talking to Wales online. Um, and this is what he had to say. So because, well, the first thing was he was celebrating by putting a cup in his ears, you know, um, and then he said... I'm a fighter. I was born a fighter. I fought for everything I've got in my life. Um, I've never turned down a challenge and I looked at the team here. I know what kind of club Cardiff is and it just it just got me going. The manager instilled some confidence in me that I've been lacking due to certain things going on this season, not playing for a long time. I needed Steve Morrison to put some confidence in me, tell me I was his first target and that was it. That sold it for me. After not playing for a long time, I don't think I could have been any lower towards the back end of the first six months of the season. Things weren't working out for me, and to get the goal was just more relief than anything. There are certain things that went on that are, are not for me to say. It is what it is. I just knew a lot of people. I, I knew I had a lot of people to prove wrong this year, and the second half of the season, I can't wait for it. Yeah, and you know what? Good luck to the kid. Um, I hope he has... A scintillating uh, second half of the season, uh, and I hope he wins the championship uh, equivalent of the Golden Boot. Uh, well, not really, but I think, to be honest with you, I wish the kid no harm and no uh, no ill at all. So let me make that cl- plain first of all. But for us, he wasn't a centre forward, no. uh, and and he scored one goal for Cardiff so far in his, on his debut, at very very early in the game. And good luck to him. But before I started shouting things like that, if I was if I was the centre forward who'd just gone to Cardiff on loan, uh, I think I'd be a little bit more circumspect in uh, in how loud I shouted it from the from the rooftops. Because one goal is what he got for us in twenty games, I think. Well, he can't he can't blame anybody but himself for that. We saw some of those opportunities that he missed. Bless him. Um, and it's not fair. It's not fair for uh, for the Albion to get the blame for for that. So it's probably shared to some extent. Uh, and good luck to him. Yeah. Do you understand the whole? You know, I barely played though. He's played twenty games. It's not like he's been sat on the bench the entire season, is it? It's certainly not. Um, he says it's a long time since he played. Uh, well, that was what struck me when I uh, when I read that uh, because. He's been playing for us pretty regularly, if not starting, um, then coming on at the traditional 59 to 62 minutes um, to absolutely no effect. Uh, so, yeah, to be fair to him, it was a massive relief. Let's face it, he's left somewhere he hated being, he's gone somewhere where it looked more promising and he scored after a bit, I think it was about five minutes or something like that, wasn't he, uh, on his debut. So good luck to the kid. Um, so just uh, quickly, one last story before we go into our trivia. Um, 
Sky have been messing around with our fixtures again. Uh, we are on TV a lot at the moment. Um, so they've basically selected Sheffield United, uh, Blackburn Rovers, a game against Middlesbrough and also our game against Swansea, uh, Huddersfield and Fulham. Um, they've recently picked, which is just completely, you know, disorganised our fixtures again. Our next 3pm home game, I believe, is on the 9th of April against Stoke. Because uh, we've either got, we've got 3pm games, but they're all um, away. And uh, we have got home games, but they're all, you know, Monday. I mean, so, you know, it's just, it's all over the place. So Blackburn at home is 8pm on Monday, the 14th of February. And then we've got Swansea at home. That's on Monday, the 28th of February, 8pm. Uh, we've got Huddersfield. That's Friday, 11th of March, 8pm. It's all over the place. Um, and Ron Gourlay said in his statement that he wants to repair the um, the disconnect between the club and the fans. And I know that they can't control this, but they need to do something because this is not fair on season ticket holders. Our entire season has been disrupted by being selected for games. And I'm not complaining about the fact we've been selected for games. It's good to see the, the, the club getting exposure, but it's the times they're putting it on. If it was a, a 5 p.m. slot on a Saturday or a 12 o'clock slot on a Saturday, fair enough, that's absolutely fine. But changing it to Wednesday nights and Monday nights and Friday nights, it's just not fair on the fans at all. Yeah, I think there's a there's a, there's a bit of a dichotomy going on here because West Bromwich Albion need revenue and a good source of revenue is obviously televising your games. Uh, of course, the counterpoint to that, the second half of that dichotomy is the fact that we desperately need season ticket sales. Well, it's beginning to look like you can't have both. When we're, we're hearing things from from talk sport, it calls itself, um, that we are pointless, uh, or what's the point of us? Uh, uh, and we're we're being disrespected by Sky when our new manager is interviewed and they want to talk about Newcastle and his experiences at Newcastle or anywhere else but, but us. And then we're being picked for television, which is completely disrupting uh, season ticket holders' lives, especially if they've got if they've got somewhere to travel from, um, like like myself, uh, and if they've got kids who they're trying to introduce to the club, I, I'm amazed that there has been no sort of disquiet, or at least uh, at least the club, the board, allying itself with supporters to say, yeah, we understand your pain, and yeah, we we can see the situation. If they want to heal a disconnect, this would be an excellent way of going about it, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's not it's not fair on the fans whatsoever. Um, yeah. So I just I, I I'd love to see. I hope they're prepared for um, the renewals next year because if I mean if we get in the Premier League, things will be different. I suppose we won't be selected for so many games, and obviously it'd be good that we're back in the Premier League. But if this is how it's going to continue, yeah, the renewals for the uh, they might get a bit of a shock come start of next season in terms of how many people renew their season tickets. Yeah, it's a shock they won't like, and it's a shock that the club could do without. However, I'd have every sympathy with people for uh, for not renewing, to be honest with you, under the circumstances. I couldn't really argue against it, could I? No, absolutely. Um, so, going into our trivia, and 
I did the Sheffield United question, but obviously we haven't played Sheffield United yet. So I'm going to give you the answer to the first question, and then I've got another Sheffield United question uh, for this, you know, for ne- I'll answer on next week's podcast. So last time I asked you, West Bromwich Albion uh, versus Sheffield United was on the 21st of February 2004, and I asked you what the score was, and the answer was 2 0. Uh, and I also said you can have some bonus points if um, you could name the goal scorers. And the answer was Darren Moore and Thomas Gard, so, um, which is a bit of a blast from the past. Tommy Gard, so we was robbed. That was a really, really good player, Tommy. Uh, and we were robbed of him by that knee injury. Yeah, it like, was a shame. Like Clemo. Clemo, another one. We were robbed from it awful. From around about the same sort of era as well. Um, and then, um, so my next question is, uh, it's, a, it's referring to the Battle of Bramall Lane. So a player started uh, for Sheffield United in that game all the way back in the early 2000s. And then he also started a game for us, sorry, a game against us this season for Derby. Who was that player? So have a little think and let me know on next week's podcast. Okay, so thank you very much for listening, guys, and thank you very much for joining me, Steve. You can join us on Twitter and Facebook if you want to answer the questions, and also uh, I'll be doing another Twitter space this Friday, so if you want to chat to me then, that's really a time for you guys to get your views across and and talk about the Albion. Uh, We're at All Things WBAFC. We're also over on Facebook. If you search for All Things Albion uh, or search for at All Things WFC, you'll find us over there. Um, You can email me at uh, All Things all things albion podcast at gmail.com thank you guys for listening let's keep the faith i think there's positivity coming really pleased to see steve bruce and hopefully he'll make the changes to get us back where we need to be at the top of the table boing 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 <laughs>